Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey folks, before we start, we wanted to check in about the language in the realness. You're going to hear some offensive words, especially F-bombs and N-bombs. Our team talked a lot about how to handle this, and in the end, we've struck a balance between recognizing how loaded and offensive that language is and telling Prodigy's story the way he told it. Okay, here's our show. You know, we started this show at a concert, and we wanted to finish with Prodigy up on stage, too. But this performance, it was different. Right. It's in New York. It's in New York's Greenwich Village at a jazz club, a world-famous jazz club called Blue Note. A lot of greats have come through there, including Prodigy's grandfather, the sax player, Bud Johnson. I'm going to tell you our story, right? When I was about maybe five, six years old, I was sitting right over there watching my grandfather perform on this stage right here. You know what I'm saying? When Prodigy was a kid, his dad would take him to watch Bud play there. Me and my father used to walk to the bar, and he used to get me, like, the Shirley Temple, like, the 7-Up, the 7-Up with the cherry syrup and shit. And I thought I had a real drink, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, with my pops hanging out, I'm thinking I'm got drinking and shit. But word, that's, that's this club give me ill memories and shit, like, you know what I'm saying? So this shit is dope, like, you know? There were four of these Blue Note shows in 2017. Prodigy performed with a live band and with two of his old friends, the rapper Twin and Chinky, who sang with Mob Deep and Prodigy on his solo projects. He called me and he was like, yo, we doing a Blue Note. I hadn't been doing music seriously for a while. You know, I was just doing my day job, going to school, getting my degrees, but if P or have come, you're forced. You're forced, because you, you can't say no. Prodigy Twin and Chinky go back more than 20 years. Those guys are like her big brothers. So she still gets emotional when she talks about this reunion. And with the Blue Note, he was like, yo, I want you and Twin to come and do it with me. And i just grateful, like, holy shit. Like, you do see me and you do hear me. This would be the last time anything like this would happen for Prodigy, where so many of his worlds converged under one roof, his artistic lineage, many of his closest relatives, and a creative family that had traveled with him for nearly three decades. Prodigy reached way back in his catalog for tracks like this one. It's called Can't Complain. The album version is built around a 1970s soul funk sample. But hearing the live band do it, they turned it into a whole new song. Prodigy had been out of prison for six years at this point. Everyone we spoke to said he looked good up there. Both of his kids came, his ex-wife Kiki showed up one night, but there'd been no sign of Havoc, the other half of Mob Deep. Remember, these two had been creative partners since they were in their mid-teens. They'd had their beefs with each other, which is almost inevitable after working together for that long. But at one point, their relationship became so toxic that Havoc put out a diss track attacking Prodigy. Eventually, they squashed things enough to start traveling the world again, doing the classics. Even at these Blue Note dates showcasing Prodigy's solo music, the people wanted to hear Mob Deep. And the last time, the last show, 
Like, every time we did a show at the end, they would always be, like, shook ones, shook ones, begging for it. And I'm like, Pete, like, it's the last show. Like, you got to go half. Like, you got to do it. Prodigy finally took Chinky's advice. He's like, I go half, half is coming. And he was excited. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. And for that last Blue Note show in early June, Prodigy and Havoc got up on stage together. The band picks up that classic Herbie Hancock sample and Mob Deep tears into Shook One's part two. These shows felt like a new beginning for Mob Deep and especially for Prodigy. And I'm sure it was special to him too, you know what I mean? Every time we did it, it was more special. He was happy. Like, he was really happy. Like, I can remember, he smiled a lot. Two weeks after his last gig at Blue Note, Prodigy and Havoc were on stage together again. This time outdoors in front of a much larger crowd in Las Vegas, where it was 100 degrees. After that, Mob Deep was supposed to fly back east to play in Harlem a week later. But Prodigy never got on that plane. This last episode, we're going to go back to the beginning of our story, when Prodigy was admitted to a hospital because of his sickle cell. We'll look at the last few days of his life and ask, what happened in Las Vegas? There are still a lot of questions about how Prodigy died, especially for those who just seen him and thought he was in the best shape of his life. Then we'll go to Prodigy's memorial, where family and his closest friends said goodbye to a hip-hop icon. I'm Christopher Johnson. I'm Mary Harris. This is The Realness. This is in the dressing room, and uh, he had on like a tux. You know, he was he was sharp, man. Greg still has pictures on his phone from those Blue Note shows. Thing, it was the last time he got to see his little brother perform. You know, no 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 hoodie, t-shirt, suit, <laughs> some patent leather shoes. It was it was awesome. Greg and Prodigy had just started to get close again. As adults, they'd kind of drifted a bit. Greg is 13 years older than Prodigy. And while Mob Deep was on the rise, Greg was traveling with the Navy. So he missed a lot of their early shows. Being overseas and to meet people that I work with, you know, like lawyers, judges, you know, that were in the military, pastors, knew my brother's music. I, white people. You know, people that you would never think you look at them and go... Nah, <laughs> no way they knew my, they knew my brother. I mean, I was, it was unbelievable. One reason they were reconnecting was that their mother Fatima had died. And just seven months after she passed away, Mob Deep was in Vegas performing in that baking heat. A day later, Greg stopped by Prodigy's house in New Jersey to see him. Tasia, Prodigy's daughter, answered the door. And Tasia said he's in the hospital. I had went over to the house thinking he was on his way home, and we didn't realize he was in the hospital. 
until I got there. So I called him from there and we talked for a minute. Instead of flying home to New Jersey, Prodigy had checked himself into a hospital about 20 minutes southwest of downtown Las Vegas. He was there with his bodyguard, a guy named Tim. Over the next couple of days, while Greg and his wife were traveling, he and Prodigy checked in pretty regularly. So you called him in the hospital. And how'd he sound? He sound, um, winded, you know. But then I talked to him again that day and he sounded better. You know, that's just, again, normal occurrence, you know. It, 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 you know, it's bad, then it's okay. Then you might talk to him on the phone, and he sounds like, yeah, you know, and it's, it's, it's the opioid, or it's him coming down from the pain, or it's him needing some pain medication. On Tuesday, June 20th, Greg was alone in a hotel room when his phone rang. It was Tim, Prodigy's bodyguard. I got a call about 11 o'clock in the morning, and um, Tim goes, uh, hey, Greg, how you doing? And I just could hear something in his voice, and it was disheartening, and I was like, wow, what's going on, man? And he said, we lost him. And I said, what? We lost him, he's gone. And for a solid, wow, 10 minutes, man, I just, I dropped the phone and I screamed, like, just screamed and screamed, no, 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 man, no, no, no. And I, I, I can't even remember how long it was. I just, I screamed and was running around the room. And I guess the housekeepers were out in the hallway because security came to the door and they said, what the heck is going on here? I said, I'm sorry, man, my brother just passed away. I called my wife and told her I needed to see her right away. I didn't want to tell her over the phone. And um, got in a car, I flew over there. And she was waiting outside, I stopped the car in the middle of the street, opened the door, grabbed her, And I said, he's gone. I said, Chaka's gone. Does he help me, man? That was just really hard. Prodigy's death came crashing down on everybody. People were devastated. But they were also puzzled. Folks like Twin, who'd seen Prodigy through some of his worst sickle cell crises, they all say Prodigy was the healthiest they'd ever seen him. He'd been working out, he'd been eating well, and he'd found ways to fend off the worst of his sickle cell attacks. It's not easy to be a 42-year-old rapper. But since he'd gotten out of prison, Prodigy had been prolific. Three studio albums, international shows, those gigs at Blue Note. He'd put out a cookbook. He was even writing fiction. So everyone thought, how could he have gone through the ringer for four decades, only to die now on what seemed like a common hospital visit, the kind of visit his crew had gotten used to? Did you ask when uh, 
Tim called you, did you ask him what happened? I don't. I don't remember. I, I think he. He's. You know. I at first I. No, it wasn't. It wasn't really important. Right. The important thing was that he was gone. He was. He was dead. I've read things and listened to interviews about uh, people saying it was from the sickle cell, and, and I don't believe that was the case. You know, it was something else other than sickle cell that killed him. It wasn't the sickle cell. If Greg's right, if it wasn't Prodigy's disease, then what happened in that hospital? You know, it's what's crazy is I actually was like, I heard about it in a very random way. After the family found out that Prodigy died, news spread pretty quickly to industry insiders. Peter Rosenberg, who's a hip-hop DJ here in New York, he found out when a friend texted him. And was like, hey, have you heard anything about Prodigy? And, uh, and I said, no, not at all. The nurses at Prodigy's hospital had started talking. And he said, I know this sounds crazy, but like basically a family, someone in my family who's not into hip hop works at a Las Vegas hospital and says Prodigy just died there. Peter spent hours trying to confirm what happened. He called Havoc. He called Prodigy's producer, Alchemist. None of them had heard a thing. Then Nas posted rest in peace on his Instagram. So I went in the other room feeling very raw and emotional and just started playing songs and talking. I, I, I couldn't go to sleep without finding out if it was true. Peter started broadcasting live from his cell phone. So, yes, it's real. It's real. What time of night is this? Or no, day? This, this is day. This is, this. I'm talking about, if you were to go look at whenever Nas put up that post, yeah. this will be 10 minutes later. And here we are. I saw him a week and a half ago. The very same day, Rumors started to swirl about how Prodigy died. I think I only know what everyone else knew, which is that he performed in Las Vegas. He didn't feel good. He was supposedly on the mend at the hospital. And then he choked on an egg and died. And it's like sort of like this sad way to hear someone pass. Like, you're like I think we all agree there's a weird negative sound to it of like, it's almost like embarrassing in an odd way. Like, it sounds silly. It sounds like a silly way to die. And that was not how Prodigy should have died. He was a lot of things, but he was not a silly guy. And you're like, choked on an egg? Prodigy? No. Doesn't make sense. This idea that Prodigy just couldn't have choked to death Almost everyone we spoke to said some version of the same thing. Yeah. You're gonna tell me that an egg, <laughs> an egg beat him. That's what you're telling me right now. Up in Utica, King Benny, that guy who visited Prodigy in prison every week, he got the news on Facebook. He lost to an egg because he couldn't get a fucking egg out. He couldn't ask for help or nothing. There's nothing that could possibly could have went different. I'm not even jacking sickle cell did that shit. This nigga fought that shit well before I knew him when he was fucking his body up, doing drugs, eating crazy, and he lived through that. I watched him get his weight up 
Now, from a fan, from him going in Skitty to me going to visit this man all this time and watching him, the transformation. So you telling me now, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. It was as if Prodigy's friends thought he was invincible. He couldn't have choked. He couldn't have died from sickle cell. Pretty soon, Benny, some of his friends, they tracked down a guy from Prodigy's old Queensbridge crew who happened to be in Vegas. Goes by the name Godfather Part 3. I got the call. I got the call in the morning, June 20th, that something was wrong and he's in the hospital. You know, saying to go find him and shit. Godfather used to travel with Prodigy. He knew all about taking him to the hospital. By the time then, he was dead already, you know what I'm saying? But I, they used to, they used to me to go up there anyway, you know what I mean? I wanted to speak to the nurse, the head nurse on the floor. They let me speak to the head nurse. and You know, it was like a mad funny, mad weird and shit, you know? Like, let me see, let me see, I want to see his room now, you know what I mean? Fuck his room back. And he was getting like a little like, nervous, nervous, like, yo, bring me to his room now, you know what I mean? Shit like that, well, yeah, P.A. Choker, he from the fucking egg, yo, they lying. That gotta be, that's a, that's a, that's a lie. Gotta be. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't even think P ate eggs. If you go online, there are a lot of theories about how Prodigy died. That he was killed, that somehow the Illuminati, a secret society Prodigy rapped about sometimes, got to him. None of this sounded believable, but he did start making some calls. I talked to the Las Vegas police. For holding me help you. Hey, this is uh, Mary Harris. I'm calling for Laura. Hi, Mary Harris. Okay, and is she expecting your call? Hi, she Anne. is. We're playing it's phone Mary. tag. The coroner's office. Giving you a call to check in about my request about Albert Johnson's death. The hospital where Prodigy died. Hi, this is Gretchen Pappas. Please leave a message. And I spoke to sickle cell experts. It turns out they had a lot of questions, too. Died of what? Choking? He'd be choking. Yeah. To you, like it raises questions. That raises questions. It needs immediate investigation. There's this one theory that physicians just kept coming back to. It involves opioids, which can make patients sleepy. They lose control of their airway. If that happens when you have food in your mouth, it can be deadly. I reached out to the hospital where Prodigy died, but. They didn't want to share any information about what took place that day. They were worried about patient privacy. In the end, the most I got was a single sheet of paper, two-sided, the coroner's investigation report. It says that Prodigy was last seen alive at 6.10 a.m. on June 20th, 2017. 20 minutes later, a nurse returned to his room to find him unresponsive. There was a bowl of hard-boiled eggs on the tray table in the room. One egg appeared to have a bite taken out of it. Prodigy was declared dead at 6.56 a.m. He was 42 years old. I can tell you one thing, that age 42 to 44 is the right age when, unfortunately, many of our young men with sickle cell die. Does it need to be that young? It does not. It really does not need to be that young. Dr. Katerina Menini runs that sickle cell clinic at Montefiore Medical Center, the place that was scaled back in 2008 the place they cared for Prodigy. Actually, sudden death is not uncommon at all in sickle cell. Why? Oh, uh, 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 we really do not know, but uh, uh, sudden death, it's um, common and happens uh, in and outside the hospital. Many uh, patients of mine, I uh, 
die at home. They are found dead in their bed. She said there are just so many ways for things to go wrong for a sickle cell patient. They can get dehydrated. They can have a stroke. They can develop a heart arrhythmia. Sometimes basic treatment protocols can actually cause a deadly crisis. Every sickle cell doctor I spoke with for this story had these nightmare scenarios about what happens to patients when they travel away from their personal physician. How things can just go wrong because patients end up being cared for by doctors who may not know anything about sickle cell. When they are away from the comprehensive care, they receive care that is not appropriate and can be dangerous. We can't know what happened to Prodigy in Las Vegas. But Dr. Maniti says she loses one of her sickle cell patients each month. You know, what is fascinating about Prodigy is think about it. Such a famous individual who most likely had access to excellent care. And that I find fascinating and also scary. He could have had unfettered access to any care he wanted. And yet the disease did not spare him. As a kid diagnosed with sickle cell in the mid-70s, Prodigy got an unprecedented chance to live. In our second episode, we talked about how, right around the time Prodigy was born, Black activists and doctors were bringing more attention to the disease. They forced those in power to take it seriously, and it worked. Kids with sickle cell started to live longer. Today, most babies born in the U.S. get blood tests. Kids at risk can start antibiotic treatments, like the one that helped Prodigy make it out of childhood. It's standard care. But as these patients have gotten older, not much has improved for them. As we've mentioned before, an adult with sickle cell is just as likely to die today as they were nearly 40 years ago. And while we know how to screen for sickle cell and we know how to prevent it, the number of people diagnosed globally is actually growing. There is good news. There are a bunch of new drugs in the pipeline for sickle cell. But as we speak the federal government spends about three times less per patient on sickle cell than it does on cystic fibrosis, which is a lot like sickle cell. It's deadly, chronic, genetic, but cystic fibrosis primarily impacts white people. Okay, my name is Mercedes Muchita Thomas, and I am the mother of Havoc, but I call him QI. (laughs) We tried really hard to get Havoc for this series, but when we reached out, he never got back to us. So we reached out to Mercedes, Havoc's mom. Today she's a minister, saw Havoc and his Queensbridge crew go from neighborhood friends to worldwide rap stars. And they had all these little nicknames that I knew them as they real names. <laughs> I'm saying to myself, where are they getting this? So every time I see his friends, I call them by their real names. Mercedes knew Prodigy for nearly three decades. When he was a teenager, he'd stay in our apartment for days at a time. Do you know how Kiwan responded to, to P's death? He almost crashed in his car because he heard it on the phone as he was driving. He was in a state of shock. They just left. He just left Vegas, and he was in the hospital. He wasn't feeling well before that, my son said. 
So, he, you know, he thought it was just a routine like he always do. He didn't think nothing, you know. He said he almost crashed. He had to compose himself until he got home. Nine days later, Prodigy's memorial service was held in Manhattan at the Frank E. Campbell Funeral Chapel, same place they had Biggie's viewing. 50 Cent was there, so was LL Cool J and Questlove and Ice-T. They all showed up to say goodbye to Prodigy. So did droves of hip-hop fans and many of the guys that Prodigy had known since he was a teenager. But before the public paid its respects, there was a private service with a viewing. There was a live band. It was the same band that played with Prodigy at his Blue Note shows. And the mother of his children, she eventually got in touch with me and asked me to do the opening prayer. Yeah. So I I wore my clergy there because it made sense. Yeah. Do you remember either of the prayers that you gave? No. (laughs) Prayers, when you pray, it just comes out. You know, um, but I did pray a uh, blessing over the family. You know, I prayed their strength and during that time of need. And I prayed that God give them comfort. And my son, he couldn't even speak. And so, you know, I said, when I spoke at his funeral, I said, they were family, and families have disagreements, and people on the outside should mind their business because they, were, they became friends. Was there a moment where everyone kind of, where it was especially emotional? Yeah, one of the chinky, she was, I had to calm her down. She was uncontrollably crying. She, was, she got up to do a song. She couldn't even do the song. I had to get her water and, you know, she was the only one that was visibly upset. Besides my son, he didn't get up. Wow, he just sat there for the whole service with shades on, crying. So, I miss that young man. I do. I miss him. He's going to be missed. Yes, he is. At the service, Chinky sang a Diana Ross classic called Missing You. Diana sang it after Marvin Gaye died. We asked Chinky to sing it one more time for us. Since you've been away, I've been down and lonely. Since you've been away, I've been thinking of you. Try to understand the reason you left me. What were you going through? Me having sickle cell, it made me it made me a little different than other people. You know what I'm saying? Because it made me be more laid back, analyzing shit, and just being like that, it caused me to, um, you know, just be more of a thinker. So it 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 caused me to take care of my health. When you take care of your health, you start looking at life different. And it just shapes you into a different type of person. You know what I'm saying? Do you want to be successful or do you want to be a bum 
And that's my motivation right there. I'll be like, wake up in the morning, I sit down in the bed, all right, those two choices, success or bum. So do or die, that's my motto. And it, it works for me, you know what I mean? is a production of WNYC Studios, hosted by me, Christopher Johnson, and Mary Harris. Our editor is Christopher Wirth. We had help from consulting producer Kathy Yandley and associate producer Aaron Mathewson. Celia Muller makes sure we're legally in the right, and Michelle Harris is our fact checker. Jared Paul is our engineer. Casey Means is our technical director. Our team includes Merritt Jacob, Matt Boynton, Amanda Aronchik, and Audrey Quinn, along with Stephen Renault, Caitlin Sullivan, Ariana Jones, and Nikki Galtland. WNYC's Vice President of News is Jim Schachter. Trumpeter Christian Scott wrote our beautiful theme song and composed a lot of the music in this series. Additional music by Melanie Sue. Shailene Evans, a.k.a. Chinky, and Sam Retzer performed Missing You by Lionel Richie. Thanks to NPR for sharing audio from their podcast, Microphone Check. We also want to show love to Prodigy's friends and family who gave us their time, welcomed us into their homes, and shared their memories of a man they treasure. WNYC's health coverage and the realness is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Jane and Gerald Catcher and the Catcher Family Foundation, Science Sandbox, an initiative of the Simons Foundation and the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation.